You're listening to Don't Waste Water. Hello, bonjour, and welcome to the Don't Waste Water podcast. I'm your host, Antoine Valter, and in today's episode, I'm welcoming a TED speaker that just concluded his talk about the value of our poop, aka me. Yes, that's a weird intro, and yes, it may sound like I'm just bragging. Sorry about that. But for this last episode of 2022, I wanted to share with you here my recent TED conference, a TEDx to be absolutely precise, because I feel like that one is our collective achievement. The content I've taken on that scene is deeply rooted in the wisdom about 140 guests have shared on this microphone, and I hope it conveys the message that we should definitely not waste water, waste wastewater or treat wastewater as waste, Said differently, I've taken my podcast thesis on that prestigious scene and I would have barely imagined that to be possible three years ago. So thank you all for the support, the interactions, the recommendations, the constructive criticism and thank you for being always growing as a crew. It sure helps to justify poop to be serious enough of a topic to be taken in every discussion round. If you want to see how that turns out in video, the link is in the show notes and if you prefer to stay with the audio version, it starts right after this. There are two inhabited spaceships in the universe. The first one is the International Space Station. Actually, it has many perks. It has the best view possible of the universe. It is equipped with the best technology we know, and it gets rid of boring stuff like gravity. But it also has a couple drawbacks. When you're up there, there's no natural resources, no air and no water, unless someone comes, knocks at the door and brings you some. So that's what happens every three months or so. There's knock, knock, who's that? Oh, John or Igor, depending whose turn is on. Why are you there? Because I'm bringing some water. Oh, great, how much would it cost? Well, $22,000 for one liter. How much? <laughs> Actually, it makes about sense that it is that expensive because to bring water up to the ISS, you need to build a rocket, gather a crew, launch that rocket, probably pay for the salary of Igor or John and burn a lot of fuel. So once it's up there, it's pretty expensive. But when you're a water engineer like me, that's an incredible opportunity because you now have a very clear threshold, 22,000. Whatever you can do with your process, which is cheaper than that, is gonna get adopted. And that's how the International Space Station from the very first day was reusing its wastewater. At the beginning, they were reusing 60% of it, and nowadays they reuse 80% of it. What does that mean in concrete steps? Imagine you're an astronaut, you're drinking a coffee, probably you're gonna pee after that, that pee gets retreated and serves your next coffee the next day. And so you can be drinking the same coffee for two weeks. But that's a functional system. And it proves us that, technologically speaking, it is doable to reuse that extent of wastewater. It is safe and reliable. And you can do it for much less than 22,000. Now, let's look at the second inhabited spaceship in the universe, also called planet Earth. I have a little bit of a problem with the way its 8 billion crew deals with its water. Because they reuse only 4% of the water, which is 20 times less than what the ISS does. So one can argue it's called the blue planet for a reason, probably there's enough water. And if I was to poll you tonight, probably you'd tell me 
water, come on, we have water, we know water, why would we need more water? Well, actually, I wouldn't be that affirmative because if we look on the horizon, by 2030, we will be missing 40% of the water we need to strive, meaning that we will experience a high level of water scarcity, which will displace up to 700 million people. To give you a sense of scale, that's 10 times more than the Second World War. And finally, not by 2030, but already today, there are 2.2 billion people which don't have access to safe drinking water. How can it be that we experience that when we have the technology we need to reuse wastewater to treat everything? Well, the thing is that technology is one thing, but money is another one. So what would be Earth's budget for one liter of treated wastewater? Well, actually, we could use the same methodology than NASA. We take all the costs, we divide it by the number of liters we need, and that gives us with our budget. And thankfully, we can leverage the work of Gary White and Matt Damon, the founders of Water.org, who have been compiling what they call water scoping costs. Water scoping cost is whatever you have to pay when you don't have access to water. So probably you'll have to walk distances to get some water. You'll have to boil that water. You'll have to maybe get sick because of that water. Then you're going to skip school. You're going to be out of work and so far and so on, where you're not a bit more sick than that with more consequences. If you put all of that together, the cost for humanity every year is $300 billion. That is the coping cost we have to deal with. Now let's do some maths. We take those 300 millions, billions, sorry, and we divide them by 2.2 billion people which lack access to drinking water. Now we divide it by their daily needs, 50 liters, which is a stretch, but which is doable. And then we divide it by the number of days in a year, which to my count is still 365. If I compile all of that, the result is pretty straightforward. The budget for Earth is 0.0075 dollars per liter or said differently, three quarters of a cent per liter. Let's do a side-by-side -side comparison. ISS needs half a liter per day because they have the best technology there is so they can really be efficient with their water. On Earth, 50 liter is already a stretch. You probably all use 150, if not 200 liters. So it's 100 times more. And the budget on one end is $22,000. On the other hand, it is three quarters of a cent. So if we do the math again, you'll see that that is a recurring theme in my talk. We do a lot of maths. We have a 300 million times smaller budget on Earth than on the International Space Station. Houston, we have a problem. So what can we do? And what can we buy with this three quarters of a cent? Let's ask the question a bit differently, if you will. If I had wastewater, what would I need to do to bring it up to drinking water quality and how much would that cost? Well, let's look at the processes first. I take a bit of wastewater and I bring it through a grid. I take whatever is floating. I don't do a picture of what might be floating in wastewater. I take that out. I take a second filter there. I take out whatever is a bit smaller, also oil and greases and some sludge starts to settle on the bottom. And then I take that water and I feed it into a biological reactor where microorganisms are gonna take on the organic matter and start to degrade that. And finally, that mixture goes into a clarifier where on one side I'm taking out water and on the other side I'm taking out sludge. We'll come back to the sludge. 
For now, we concentrate on that water. By the outlet of that plant, I have quite pure water, which I can discharge to nature, but which is by far not potable. Don't drink that, please. So, I'm a bit better off than what I was at the beginning, but if I want to drink my water, now I need to go for an extra step, which we will call water reclamation. So in that new step, I take that same water, I go back in a new process. Here I take a pre-treatment with ultrafiltration, then I go through a reverse osmosis, then I do a disinfection with ultraviolet, and by the outlet, I get pure drinking water. Studies show that that water is not only drinking water, but it's also the best possible source of drinking water on Earth, the safest, all compounded. So it is drinking water. Yet now if I come to you and I tell you, here's a glass of water, yesterday it was in your neighbor's body, but today, trust me, it's the best water. Would you drink it? Studies show that, surprisingly, you don't want to drink that. I can argue that every single drop of water at some point was in a dinosaur, so we should be fine with drinking it anyways, but that's psychology and I have only 14 minutes today, so I won't really drop into that. So let's say we settle to say, I don't force that up on you, but then you trust me about the next step. I take again that water and I bring it back at the beginning of a new process. This time I'm creating drinking water. So I'm taking that water and I'm mixing it with another source of water, whatever you want, groundwater or rainwater, even maybe river water. I mix all of that in a big basin. I let it stay there for a while. And then I do a full process, coagulation, flocculation, sedimentation. Then I drive it through a sand filter where I'm taking all the particles out. Then I bring it to advanced oxidation to take emerging contaminants, micropollutants out. And I bring it to a second step of micropollutant treatment with activated carbon. And now that water does a bit of finishing with a bit of minerals, a bit of disinfection, and I send it to your tap. Trust me, you will never get a better water than that one. So your only question here should be, how much does it cost? And actually, that costs $0.0027 per liter. How do I know? Actually, that exact process, those three steps, wastewater treatment, water reclamation, and drinking water production, it is the exact process that Singapore is using. And Singapore is reusing 40% of its water today, and will be reusing 50% of its water by 2030. So, what do we learn here? Remember, we had that budget of three quarters of a cent. Well, that's three times too much to reuse wastewater. We could really produce the best possible water and still have some money left. So what are we waiting? At that stage, I could be just dropping the microphone because my point is made. We could be reusing wastewater wherever, but there's more to it. Because if we do just semantics, I've been taking the water out of wastewater. So water vanishes, I have just waste. That's absolutely not true. What we are having here is everything but waste. Let's be a bit philosophic, if you will. Humans have been looking at the sun, wondering if that could be doing something else than just shining. And one day they found out that it could be producing energy. Humans have been experiencing the breeze of wind and they didn't know what to do with it. And one day they found they could be doing energy with it. Now you, when you go to the toilet, do you look at your poop? And if you do, what do you see? Well, actually what I see personally is energy. Renewable energy, exactly like sun and wind. Poop is a very powerful source of energy. Now it's gonna be a bit colorful. 
A human, over the course of his life, is creating about five tons of poop. <laughs> Roughly speaking, assuming you live 80 years, but okay. We want to go to a zero carbon world by 2050. In 2050, we will be around 10 billion humans on Earth. 10 billion humans of Earth, each of them producing five tons of poop over his lifetime. Now I translate that a bit into my water engineer lingo, that makes for one million tons of chemical oxygen demand per day. And now there's a chemist called Elizabeth Heidrich who's been looking at those chemical oxygen demands to look how much energy is inside. And what she found out is that there's 16.1 kilojoules in every gram of chemical oxygen demand. And I have one million of tons every day. So that makes for 4,472 gigawatt hours per day and also 1,600 terawatt hour per year, which might be a bit dry like that. So let's make a, let's make a comparison. That's the equivalent of 320 nuclear power reactors or 140 millions of tons of oil that you would burn in a thermic power plant. Okay, but there's a but. Today, we don't have the technology to tap into 100% of that chemical energy. We have good prospects. We have microbial electrolysis cells, microbial fuel cells, supercritical water oxidation, all processes where surprisingly NASA has put some money inside because they believe it might be possible that it powers the International Space Station one day or the permanent settlement on the moon or on Mars. But today, those technologies are still in their early steps. Yet, we have another one, which is pretty simple, sturdy, proven, which always works. It's called anaerobic digestion. And what it does is pretty simple. It mimics our body. It takes the waste of the sludge we had discussed earlier, it puts it into a big reactor and turns a good portion of it into biogas. And actually, that can extract 40% of the energy of wastewater. So we are speaking of a reduction of 56 million tons of oil in thermic power plants, only thanks to our energy pool. Well done. So at that stage, we've seen that wastewater can bring us water and actually more than we need and cheaper than we need it, a good chunk of energy, what else can it do for us? Well, it can feed us. Not literally, but it can contribute to it. Because actually, by 2050, the world will need to produce 50% more calories compared to what we have today. And to produce so much more food, we will need some fertilizers, like it or hate it. And the beauty of wastewater is that inside that wastewater, we have urea and ammonia, which are contributors to the nitrogen-based fertilizers. And we could cover 30% of the world's demand in nitrogen fertilizer just with wastewater. But there's better, because if we take the sludge and treat it, we can extract phosphorus. And phosphorus is a finite mineral on Earth. Today, it's mined in China and in Kazakhstan, and then it's sent around the world. Well, we can cover 100% of the white phosphorus needs of the world just with wastewater. And if you're still not convinced, I have some rapid-fire examples for you. Let's look at lithium. Industrial wastewater is full of lithium. You can extract it and feed battery production. Now, another example you can do at home. You can collect all your pee. Okay, that's weird. But you can do it. And if you do it, you're peeing three liters of potassium over a year on the black market that sells for $40. <laughs> we could also be collecting all the toilet paper that we're putting into the sewer and bringing it back as paper that would reduce the, the need for pulp and paper in the world by 7%, so much less tree that we have to cut. 
And finally, by my podcast guest calculation, Aaron Tartakovsky told me that, that he made that calculation, taking the heat of wastewater and leveraging that heat, we could be powering all the electric cars on the roads of the US today. So let's wrap up. Today, the world is treating 56% of its wastewater and it's reusing a fraction of it. Water scarcity will push us to do something about it. And we have a huge opportunity to leverage wastewater to do a lot of good stuff, starting with water, but also energy and also resources. And what that does is that it transforms the wastewater treatment plants into water resource factories, which means that we will have now a new, very powerful link in the world's circular economy's value chain. And that is our water resource factories. And the beauty of that as well is that it's almost impossible to do wrong. All the scales will work. You have country-wide scales like what Israel does, what Singapore does, and you have the smallest possible scales with one simple unit in the basement of a building, which makes that building autosufficient. And all the shades in between work as well. Los Angeles plans to be fully circular as a city by 2025. You have also communities doing that jump in India, in Brazil, in South Africa. Fast forward to the next time you go to the toilets. Do what you have to do. Once it's done, have a look. And look at it as an investment and as a treasure. And you're going to get the windfalls of that at some point. Please think of it before you flush. Thank you.